Something in us, largely unconsciously, at least initially, intuits the the fragility of life, the instability of life, the fact that everything is slipping through our fingers, that whenever we get something that we like, that changes. That whatever we do to hang on, we can't keep hold of the same moment, the same situation, the same feeling. And that causes us some, as I say, largely unconsciously, initially, some existential anxiety. We feel uh, disturbed. That's the root of the upadana, clinging, consciousness getting stuck, that we've been exploring in various depth and detail over the days. Consciousness gets stuck around something, around some mind state, around some story, around some need, around some reaction, around some emotion, around some relationship, as an attempt to find some solidity, to find some place to stand, some place to rest, something to trust. And the thing that seems to be, the thing that seems to offer us some solidity Seems to the thing that seems the most constant in our experience, even though it turns out not really to be the case, as we were exploring yesterday, is the sense of myself. That's where consciousness gets most especially stuck, as with the idea through the various things we pursue, the people we pursue, the situations we pursue, the ideas we pursue, the dreams we pursue, with the idea that when I get it that thing, that situation, when I've met the right person, when I've um, had the great awakening experience in meditation, whatever it might be, then this will be fixed. This will be okay. Then we can enjoy enlightened retirement. (laughs) And though we might in being involved in some practice like this, maybe as the fruit of seeing through that illusion in a worldly sense, we might see that, oh, the right person or the right job or the right car or the right whatever it is in a worldly sense doesn't really nourish the soul, as it were. We easily bring that same movement to a practice like this. Practicing for some attainment. And that attainment might be called not clinging. When I've completely stopped clinging, then. As if that's some place we're going to get to. Of course, it looks rather a long way away. Because I keep seeing, oh, well, let's cling to this. Oh, well, now I cling to this. Well, first there's all those wanting things we cling to. Then there's all the views and opinions we cling to. 
Then there's a sense of existence and non-existence. So what I've got to stop clinging to all of those. And then, what? So the reference points for our so-called spiritual progress are still the reference points of self. We think it's this that's going to get free or get awake. But the very nature of this is that it's unfree and unawake. This isn't what gets free. And that's kind of scary. right? Because that's where we've attempted to get the sense of ground, the sense of solidity, the sense of constancy, the sense of reliability, of trustworthiness. And yet, you know, this is very precisely not, you know, steady. That's certainly one thing we must have seen this this week. How unsteady this is and keeps on changing. It just doesn't seem anywhere, anywhere to provide the kind of unshakable, steady ground that we're hoping for. Longing for. One friend describes, just reminding me, talking about the steady ground. One friend reminds me, uh, it reminds me of one friend who describes this practice as having, you realize you've jumped out of an aeroplane and you've got no parachute. But then you realize there's no ground. <laughs> Just free fall. (laughs) And I heard it a couple of people there, and suddenly, pretty much any time I relay that anecdote, a couple of people always, at the moment when I say, and then there's no ground, (gasps) a couple of people gasp. (gasps) Because we're longing for ground, something. The language that we've been exploring, something to cling to. And the the paradox is that as we dare to let go, the language we've been using, or maybe more accurately than as we dare to let go, as we dare to really um, acknowledge and inhabit the places we've got tight, the places consciousness has got stuck, where there is clinging. And as we dare to trust the softening of that, the opening of that, the the seeming groundlessness of that, letting go into what? It feels initially, because what we're used to is the the seeming solidity of seeming self, then that feels pretty scary to let go into something that feels groundless. You might, bit by bit, start to discover the grounded, isn't quite the right word, but the unshakability of being itself. That which in which everything can rest, though it's not a state of mind, not an experience.
So that mystery of both longing, we long to let go, right? We came here because the title was all about letting go. We want to let go, and yet, <gasps> I, let, I want to let go, but, but not, you know. But you know that story of, uh, it's this uh, story about letting go of somebody who's fallen off a cliff, and they're hanging to a little, a little thin vine, a little thin plant that's poking out of the cliff, dangling hundreds of meters above jagged rocks. And the plant is slowly giving way. And suddenly the person becomes very religious, calls out to God, Oh God, if you'll just get me out of this, then I'll be a devout and I'll do anything. Just give me the message of what to do. And uh, I'll be faithful follower from now on. And he hears a voice from the heavens, just let go. <laughs> he says, you must be joking. <laughs> we like the spiritual vision you know, of listening to God, of doing whatever it takes. But when it actually comes to it, we hold on tightly. That's what we've been exploring, right? Both our holding on tightly and our daring to challenge that, daring to soften that. So what's it like? The unstuck heart. What's it like? The consciousness that's, that's not clinging. What is it? that we let go into? What does unstuck life look like? We've been looking at these qualities of contact, curiosity, care, and looking at them both as the definition of awareness and as the definition of love. So that, um, yeah, we might put the words together with a hyphen. Awareness, love. Sounds a bit clumsy. So what does it look like, the unbounded loving heart, we might say, the, to rest in unbounded awareness? contactfulness, a curiosity and a care for love that's not that doesn't have tunnel vision the Buddha talks about four particular ways, four kind of we might say resting places of the unstuck consciousness four qualities of the unbounded heart he talks about them as the Pali word is Brahma Vihara means uh, Brahma kind of means God or divine or limitless. So there's a few different ways to trans translate. Sometimes they're called the divine abidings, the boundless qualities of heart, and fits better for the way we're looking. The boundless qualities of heart, depending on what's arising in the field, right? What the heart's in contact with. So I thought I'd like to just explore these a little bit 
And I'd like to explore them without reference particularly to the usual uh, ways that they're translated. So if you're familiar with the Brahma Viharas and the the usual translations of of Metta, Karuna, Upeka, Mudita, then, uh, and if you don't hear those usual English translations, don't be alarmed. Firstly, is really just the, the the quality of care that we've been speaking about. Care as a boundless quality. And the more the more um, fluid consciousness is, another way of putting that, the less obsessive consciousness is. Another way to put it, the less stuck on some detail, the less um, caught up around my problems and my stories and my needs and my wishes and my work and my history and my issues and my, 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 my. The more room there is in the heart to care. It's what happens naturally. We talk, so sometimes we hear about the practice of metta, people doing metta practice, caring practice. And certainly one can invoke or intend towards that, one can incline the heart towards that, but you can't force the heart to care. There's not much room in the heart to care when we're caught up with all uh, my stuff. And as that unsticks, unclings, un- unravels, relaxes, naturally we find we care about what's happening. We care about what's in front of us. We care about what we're in contact with. Because it's that very fleetingness, that very uh, etherealness of phenomena that seems initially to us like something unstable that we need to find a a safe place against, the solidity of self. That very um, fleetingness we see as so precious. This moment, like never before. This birdsong. This whatever it is. This being in front of us, this practicing together, this breath, this moment in whatever form, very simple, very complex, very ordinary, very extraordinary, everything reveals itself as deeply worthy of our care. Everything, life is crying out gently to be cared for. And the human heart is an extraordinary organ of life's caring for itself. The unstuck heart cares freely, cares widely, cares deeply, cares freely. 
And that's, that's a boundless quality, right? There's no limit. In the way that we've been exploring, no limit to consciousness, no limit to presence, no limit to life. There's no limit to the way care can expand in the heart because everything reveals itself as worthy of care. It feels like the most authentic response to life is to care for it. The felt sense of that is warmth. It's warmth in the heart, a kind of radiant warmth. Buddha uses the word radiance to describe care a lot. Radiating outwards. I mean, that's if, we, if you pay attention to what's happening in, in your body, in, your, in the heart area, when you're caring. It's, it's, the quality is one of a, a radiant warmth. Hmm. If we use the image that we've referred to a few times of, as the, of the mother and child, it's that, that love that a mother has for a child, that, that uh, you know, those of you who are, who are parents, you know, the moment that your child is born, suddenly, from nowhere, this great well of care for another being has arisen. Suddenly another being's life is more important than your own. That radiant warmth. In which the heart opens and opens and opens. In which the usual divisions that we feel when, we're st- when consciousness is stuck, when the heart's contracted, when we're trying to find the constancy in ourselves, that really reinforces a sense of division or boundary between me and all my stuff and my, 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 and life, life, all that stuff over there. Care dissolves the boundaries. That radiant warmth spreads out. Whatever's cared for is included in the heart. Sometimes, though, what the heart is faced with, what we're faced with, is the pain of life. Whatever form that might take, our own pain or someone else's pain, the pain of disappointments in life, the pain of that which we've longed for not happening, or that which we've hoped wouldn't happen, does happen. That which we hope to stay, leaves. That which we hope to never arrive, comes. And the pain of life, of ill health, our own or someone else's. The pain of ageing. And then... The ultimate inconstancy of self, death, to which we're all hurtling at some unknown rate.
it's hard to be in touch with the pain of life. It's also been something that we've been exploring in the, over the days here, whether that's physical pain, right? Just, just very ordinary. Oh, that strange phrase, common or garden. Common or garden pain of aching knees. It's hard to be with pain. And then the, you know, the pain of whatever it might be. Somebody close to us who's had something very difficult happen, who's been betrayed in some way, who's very upset. You know, we turn on the TV and see kind of harrowing scenes of suffering somewhere in the world. Oh, we walk down the street and see somebody with, you know, in some kind of distress, mental illness or homelessness. Or the infinite you know, ocean of pain that we might be exposed to in, in all different ways. How does the unstuck heart respond to pain? The stuck heart tends to respond by either we just we can't bear it and we kind of shrink from it and it just the 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 hurt of it the pain of it, it feels too much and we kind of we sort of brace ourselves or we turn away in some way we distract from or turn away or or just shut down we go kind of hard or cold in some way that's one way that the stuck heart tends to be impacted by pain. Or it feels overwhelming and we kind of collapse into despair or hopelessness. It's another way pain might affect us. Or we get very sympathetic or practical, or we say, oh, 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 and we get like, we kind of this sort of sympathetic sympathizing with the other we sort of smother them in sympathy oh you poor love oh, it must be terrible or oh, dreadful and you maybe know what it's like to be on that end of like you know somebody smothering you in sympathy which is also a, in, in some ways an avoidance of feeling or we get very full of good advice well of course you know what you should do is uh, I don't think we can really talk about what the unstuck heart does in response to pain. Because in word, you know, pain isn't a situation. Right? Pain is the word we're speaking about, but it comes as a, as a real situation. A real situation needs a real response, a real action. But how pain impacts the, the unstuck heart, it hurts. It hurts. If the affect in the heart of care is radiant warmth, the affect in the heart of pain is it hurts. And yet something in us knows it's important to let it hurt. It's important to let it in. That any real response to suffering comes from being able to tolerate it. 
and that it feels disrespectful in a way to life to shut down and to turn away from it or to get too busy um, with all the, the mechanisms of sympathy and advice etc etc so we, we can't predict how to respond to pain but we can let ourselves feel it we can we're asked really to let our hearts break with it because when they break they break op- you know the heart breaks open and that's something even in in the midst of that which is painful there's also that something the authenticity in the response, the beauty even in the response, is that in meeting it, in the same way, the divisions dissolve. The sense of distance, the boundary between self and life. So there too, the heart, the unstuck heart is its boundlessness gets revealed and whether you kind of sense into your own experience of that uh, kind of vastness of heart in, in letting pain in or whether you touch into your experience of when you know when somebody else has just has kind of just really made room for your pain, distress, anxiety, disappointment, hurt. And even in the, the just letting it be, letting it in, there's something healing in there. So, we're asked to care deeply. We're asked to feel deeply, to dare not to turn away, to dare not to just tell ourselves all the stories about what the dreadful thing that's happening and get caught in overwhelm. To let our heart not get stuck anywhere. And there's a lot of extraordinary beauty in life. And some of your remarks, you know, being here these days as well as speaking about some of the painful aspects of things, speaking about the beauty, and being in the gardens here. Exquisite, exquisite. Who knew? There were so many different shades of green. You know, people are always impressed that the Eskimos have 13 words for snow or something. Um, But I always think, well, the French have got 3,000 words for cheese. (laughs) But that's a lot of different... I bet the Eskimos don't have many words for green. That's a lot, a lot of... It's pathetic that we've only got this word green. Wow. So much to appreciate, so much to delight in. 
So nature is an obvious, an obvious example of that in which we can delight. But also many other examples. Sometimes just delighting in the the sensitivity that's there to life. That's that which we may have taken for granted, like eating a meal or walking barefoot outside or feeling the sun on our skin. When the sensitivity is there, when we're not caught up in the dramas and details of uh, what's going on, when there's room in the heart, oh, there's so much that's a source of delight. Also sitting in here together, sometimes sensing, again, some of you have spoken to me about sensing that kind of mutual support. Others sitting here, others daring to face life, others uh, sharing in this beautiful endeavour. Or sometimes listening to one another, somebody sharing their own discoveries. And oh, heart delights. The felt sense in the heart is a kind of is yeah, delight is a good word. It's a kind of a kind of fizzy sense, a kind of f- full up sense, a full heart. And you know, when you really delight in something, when you really appreciate that quality of heart, that flavor of love, appreciative love. you really appreciate something there's the intimacy the boundaries drop away and that which the heart can delight in that which there is to appreciate is endless there's no end to the beauty of the world to the beauty of life These boundless qualities, they're not, it's not about a steadiness or a constancy that we're trying to cling on to in the world of uh, you know, self that we've been exploring. But how much more nourishing the boundlessness of the heart, the endlessness of beauty, the fathomless depths of life's endless movement, how much more nourishing than that which I try to hang on to, grip on to, stick on to. And so... The same thing with the image of the mother and child. Uh, just a sense of that quality. So I, I kind of missed one out with the, the compassion, and the, resp- the heart's response to pain, that quality of love that responds. And the image we might imagine there of a mother and child is just that soothing embrace. You know when a child's in pain and distress. And the way to love a child in distress isn't really by doing something or saying, oh, you poor love, poor love, poor love. Right? No, it's just something about a soothing presence, loving presence, responsive presence. 
And then when you hold a child in distress, you just meet them, you know, respond to their pain. They do that thing like... Offers them a, a chance to settle, to unstick a little from their own pain. The appreciation, that this, the image of the mother and child is you know, the way a parent delights in their child's everything, really, in, in the, the first step, or the first tooth, or the first whatever it is, first gurgle. And then in everything else through the rest of life, the way, oh, that fizzy, that full-up feeling, that fullness of heart, and the way one delights in one's children. At least in the archetypal sense, right? You may have a family history where this doesn't ring true for you, but in terms of the archetype, and whether or not it rings true, what we're really speaking about is the quality and the availability of that in our own hearts. I think sometimes an image helps to kind of bring that alive for us. And then lastly, there's that quality of love which is the spaciousness of the heart. The way in which In, in, the, in the freedom of a sensitive heart, there's that, uh, that knowing that everything deserves its life, its space, its movement, its expression. Sometimes this quality is, I think, a bit clumsily translated as equanimity. And equanimity, to me at least, suggests some kind of, oh yes, I'm being equanimous. So it kind of sounds a bit flat. So now pleasant things are happening. It's very blissful in my body. I'm remaining equanimous. Now it's terrible. <laughs> remaining equanimous. Hello, is that equanimous or is that half dead? No, it's kind of flat line. Actually, that quality of heart that allows what's here, whether we like it or whether we're not, it's not uh, flat. It's, it's vast. It's spacious. It's that quality that is so close to life that it doesn't want to push anything away. It feels like a very harsh, very rude kind of thing to do to life push it away just because I don't like it. The stuck heart needs to vigorously defend against everything it doesn't like. But as our heart gets unstuck and freer, more and more that quality of spaciousness that just wants to allow. And that's a quality we're really training a lot in meditation. The quality of not fussing and freaking out just because we don't like something. And the quality of that boundless space. And that's the felt sense in the heart of upeka, of uh, equanimity. is a sense of a great amount of space. A sense there's enough room 
for what's here. And again, that dissolves the sense of the boundaries with life. It's a kind of a transparent heart. And that way we can let what's here pass through. It's without it threatening anything. The threat is what the stuck heart feels. And if we were to find an, the continue the thread of the mother and child image, that's the way a parent loves their child by letting them go, letting them find their own way, letting them fall over and hurt their knee, letting them make their own mistakes. Our practice is in the service of unsticking our hearts. It's in the service of the boundlessness of heart, which is our true nature. The heart is unbounded. Awareness is limitless. Life is open and free. It's not the Buddha's heart that was boundless. It's not someone else's heart. It's life's invitation to us, to you, to let your heart care, to let your heart respond, to let your heart appreciate and delight in to let your heart make room for whatever it is that shows up. Free life. Free heart. May it be so, friends, for each one of us and for all beings everywhere.